Hello everybody and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. This is a very fascinating podcast I did with a young man who is a law graduate. He runs a podcast. I'm going to be on it. I'm going to link it below in the description. He is a very well-thought-out young man, and he has a lot of observations about his town of Fresno. And the two of us, I would say, are political theorists who probably don't see eye to eye on a lot of political issues, but we do think of ways to make the country better that I think we both agreed on. I feel that that's a pretty pretty fair assessment. Anyway, um, as always, um, this podcast is going to be rated uh, not safe for work. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast around kids or whatever, I I wouldn't really do that. But it is a fascinating podcast. Um, you know, a few curse words are bantied about in conversation. That happens a lot. Um, English is a lived language, as I like to say. I guess I learned that somewhere. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and what I consider basically an evolving, uh, basically oral history of our time, uh, pretty much. And there's going to be other very interesting, uh, podcast released. Um, I recorded one actually earlier today which was uh, about a man. We talk about the music scene in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, and we talk about him being a working actor, and that was a very interesting podcast, and I'll probably release that very soon, um, most likely tomorrow. But anyway, uh, take care, and I'll see you guys later. And uh, the, the links for all this stuff, all of Taylor's things, are going to be in the description. And uh, as always... Um, I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too. All right, kids, bye-bye. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the History Voyager. My name is Ben Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you for listening to mine. I'm here with Taylor Elan, and we are going to talk about issues in his town. First of all, where exactly are you? Fresno, California, in the Central Valley. And I'm sure there's lots and lots of issues. Um, well, why don't you get started? What what grabbed you about the Reddit ad that I put up? Uh, sure. Well, the what's funny is this is something I've been talking about uh, with people here in Fresno since I've moved back here from college and, and law school. Um, and I've seen you around on the Reddit post a couple of times. I know you've done a show with Eddie from Sinobabble. Uh, Eddie's a super cool girl, and I love talking to her, so... I figured if she, you know, you're cool enough to talk to her, I'd happily talk to you as well. Um, but the thing about the Metro issue is that Fresno is sort of this conundrum, uh, politically speaking, socially speaking, culturally speaking, because when most people think of California, there's this, uh, there's basically two major things that come up. Uh, a lot of non-Californians think that California is basically LA and San Francisco. And although we have plenty of beaches and the Bay area is a foggy mess, 
it's a state of about 40 million people. It's one of the largest states in the union, uh, the union being the United States for your non-American listeners. And when you have that many people in as much land as the, as California has, we are way more than beaches and San Francisco. And Fresno is in what's called the central Valley, which is a agricultural uh, hub not just for California, but for much of the world. And being at more of an agricultural hub, um, it's more culturally and politically conservative than the rest of the state. Um, but Fresno has had the opportunity over the last two decades-ish to really grow into a major city, not just in California, but west of the Mississippi. It's one of the largest cities west of the Mississippi River, uh, which is a big deal for you know non-Americans. And it it seems to be stuck between wanting to be um, not like California in the sense that you may think of L.A. or San Francisco um, or even Sacramento, but it doesn't want to quite embrace the future the way that I think it should be doing. When okay, when we say embrace the future, um, what exactly do you mean? <laughs> sure. Uh, so right now, there's a heavy dependence in the area on agricultural jobs. Uh, government jobs and education jobs and healthcare jobs, but it's all strictly like end to end service at best. Uh, agriculture is great and all, but there, there's a, there's another show based out of uh, my area called talk ag to me that correctly points out that, you know, as ag gets more technical with the advent of AI and um, automated farming and stuff like this, there's going to be less and less people needed to work the jobs. Furthermore, Fresno, it, the Fresno County has about 1 million people and you cannot continue to employ a significant portion of a growing population. The entire state of California had a net loss of residents last year, but Fresno County had a net gain. People are moving here. People are moving here from within the state to flee high uh, cost of living and um, you know, politics or whatever it may be. And people are moving out of state because we do have jobs, believe it or not. So when I say embrace the future, it it's very stuck. The old guard, for lack of a better term, is very stuck in maintaining their business relations with farmers um, and healthcare workers who, if they were working somewhere else, they would make more money. You know, you think of a doctor making money in LA versus Fresno, they're going to make more money in LA. Uh, so it doesn't want to provide the incentives to bring businesses here, like let's say software developers out of Silicon Valley, which want out of the Silicon Valley uh, by a major part. So it doesn't want to provide the, the necessary regulatory and economic framework to bring outside investment in where cities like um, Sacramento are doing a much better job of doing so. I mean, th there's this whole trope in America which is basically as older than I am that said essentially like you in order to get the right, you know, the, I, I guess the dynamic mix of people, these, these savvy, whatever the generation they want here is you have to have uh, development. You have to have sports teams there. I, I wrote my master's um, paper on this entire push that people had that basically my grandfather's generation would have had uh, to, to put 
um, stadiums in cities, thinking you could build sports teams. So that this seems nothing new. Like Fresno needs to attract these dynamic people, and you say they're having a problem doing it. Um, why do you think? I mean, first of all, I would imagine. I mean. California is about as blue as it gets, or it was, it has been in the last few elections. And you're saying Fresno is a little more, call it purple or red. Yeah, right now it's purple. Then, Historically, it's been more red um, outside of presidential elections. Pre- the last couple presidential elections, it has gone blue. But uh, yeah. basically, every representative in the area is a Republican, if you want to use that terminology. Uh, my congressperson is Devin Nunes. We also have David Valadeo. Um, you know, and, and when what's interesting about California, just like New York, uh, just like Washington, you know, the major hubs are, of course, blue and they have more people. So they dictate the state politics. So we have two cities, really, and to an extent, three. But I'll get to that. That dictates the entire statewide politics. So L.A., San Francisco and to an extent, Sacramento. Now, some people would think San Diego, but San Diego being a military city is more purple than it appears. Um, so having spent some time as a college student down in San Diego and as a law student up in Spokane, which Spokane is sort of in a similar situation. It's a red town in a blue state, but they have, you know, what Spokane has this, um, they have a, a law school that's accredited. They have a medical school, I believe maybe two medical schools and multiple universities. And this is bringing talent to Spokane and Spokane is growing, even though I, I have no desire to ever go back. Um, Fresno, on the other hand, just is just now getting its very first medical school, and I'm not sure if it's accredited, um, does not have an accredited law school, has an unaccredited law school in which lawyers who graduate from it can only practice in the state of California once passing the bar, and one major university and one private Christian university. Uh, so it's not attracting the same talent. And we expect this to some degree, right? Because realistically, San Francisco is two hours away. LA is four to five, depending on traffic. San Diego is six. If I'm a college student out from the Midwest, Fresno is not a top priority. I understand that. But it could learn some lessons from some of these other towns while trying to also avoid some of the pitfalls that they've fallen into. So, and what's interesting is, you know, we have a major stadium. Um, the Fresno State Stadium is actually big enough you know and we don't need a sports team uh but fresno state's a pretty big sports team as a college uh we have a pretty big arena uh the safe mart center you know happily will sell out major artists like um you know pink and gwen stefani and these are main mainstream Mm -hmm. hitters justin bieber they will come to fresno there's enough of that here so it's in this weird middle ground it wants to be a big city but it holds itself back because Frankly, because it's afraid, half of the city that's red is afraid of becoming L.A. or San Francisco, and they don't want to bring that here. Where they so in, in trying to have this delicate balance and for the right to maintain power here, they, I, I believe, you know, and this is my opinion, that they, they miss the mark on what's important and what needs to be done for Fresno. You know what I mean? Because there are portions of Fresno that are very yeah. impoverished. Um, that would really benefit from extra development that would come from a more diverse and robust economy that included some of these newer tech sectors, uh, biotechnology, software development, uh, even to an extent, you know, a diversification in business and maybe more banking and just to bring more in instead of it just being basically all ag and medical and government, because that's most of the jobs here. 
Well, I mean, I don't know how much of my podcast you've heard, but what I've noticed um, in my own... So I've studied American politics for eons. Um, That sounds like a miserable existence. Well, no, I'm actually really strange. I actually enjoy... um, Well, used to enjoy... I get the theory. I enjoy studying the theory right. behind the American politics. Um, but ever since I started talking to humans, uh, fellow homo sapiens about whatever, be it through boosting the podcast or through just interviewing folks like yourself, blah, 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 right? I've noticed that I, I guess I objectify my own politics. Like, I, I, I basically, like, why do I think X, right? right? Why does perfectly reasonable person A think Y and I think X, okay? And I get, I totally get being in California and and looking at these people, looking at the Dianne Feinsteins and the, and the uh, you know, some of their policies, you know, some of these policies about, whatever and i just think the land use policies right now specifically and i just literally think oh god that'd be crazy (laughs) like uh, you know that's just insane right and you know I, i get it but i also am one of these people that and i know and i and i could preach it to you but i know that the current thinking is that or the current decider whether or not somebody's a Republican or a Democrat has to do with the density of the place they live more so than anything else. Yes, but I don't think that indicator. I don't think that necessarily follows. You know, I don't think A follows B. I think you know what I'm saying? Right. Um and I just have a thought experiment. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, I know this probably would never happen, but a thought experiment. If the Republican Party, if the National Republican Party turned to the left on health care, so if the Republican Party were to say, all right, we're going to take the ACA and we're going to do it better, we're going to maybe make some rules for it, we're going to do, do things, but here's the deal. Nobody with a part-time job needs, nobody with at least a part-time job needs to go without good medical care in the best in the biggest economy on earth or the second biggest economy on earth or whatever right if they turned to the left on health care i really really think the democratic party would be in a lot of trouble electorally uh, speaking can i rephrase that to make sure i'm understanding correctly okay so you're saying that if um and if this is what you're saying i agree with you 100 percent that if Republicans basically said it removed the ability for part-time employers to not provide health care to part-time employees, that that would put the Democrats in trouble because there would be a requ- they can no longer skirt with hours to re- to re- prevent their employees from having health care. Well, either okay, either get the businesses. To, okay, I'm not naive enough to think that there are stores out there that could provide every health care every right. burger with healthcare. But what I am saying is that we live in this huge country and we have a massive part of our budget goes to fighting wars that are massively unpopular with right. most people. So instead of doing that, right? If you just put some of that money 
into subsidizing healthcare. But if you want to make sure that the people are at least working, because one of the more, I don't want to call it a popular opinion, but one of the more prevalent opinions in this country is that you ought to at least be working. Right. You know? So, okay. And as problematic as, as that is for me, I could totally see that if the Republican Party said that if you can prove to me that you're working, I don't know, 20 hours a week or whatever, 30 hours a week, whatever, that you in the, in the second biggest economy on earth should not go without health care. Right. Okay. That, honest to God, would move a lot of people away from the democratic party. I honestly think I would like to think so. I have, I think right now in like this particular moment, there's a lot of anti-Trumpism, which that's, that's kind of the Republican party's fault. Um, that would still hold a lot of people back. But I do believe if the Republicans got more creative with the healthcare and actually acted because they've all, they've had this, you know, counter plan. They're, they're going to redo the ADA, but better. And they've been saying that since it was enacted, but they haven't done anything even when they had that house and the Senate and the presidency. Right. I mean, when I, as a political theorist, to be, to be perfectly honest with you, Taylor, as a political theorist, no matter what my personal political beliefs are, I look at the current, the current political coalitions in this country. And if I were an alien from 10,000 feet up, (laughs) they wouldn't make any sense to me. Nope. I agree. You, You know, they, they literally wouldn't make any sense to me. But because I'm an American and I live in this country, I get it. Like, I get it. But I don't think it's permanent. Right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right. I think if the, I think if they went, if they're more, I'm going to say reasonable. If they're more reasonable with healthcare, they would move a lot of bodies. Um, they would move a lot of bodies in my generation. I mean, realistically, my generation is a huge reason why the, the, the American right is having a hard time in many places because you think of places like California, um, New York, uh, Washington to an extent with a lot of, I, I hesitate to say highly educated because it, that insinuates intelligence, but they have gone through the, the rigmarole of, you know, a higher education and a higher per capita basis than many other parts of the country that don't tend to lean to the right. And, and there's, a big reason for that is because of, you know, thoughts experiments like the one you just outlined that's make perfect sense. And they've thought it through to an extent. So I agree. Well, I think, I think a lot of people in this country painted by the numbers. I mean, a lot, well, I don't want to say that in a negative way. I think a lot of people in this country did exactly what they were told since the day they could, since the day the adults found out they could read the word cat <laughs> and, and here we are. Okay. And Fair enough we can make an argument as to whether or not that was a good decision or a bad decision. And I had a podcast recently where I talked about how I honestly think our culture has changed and I don't think we value education like we did 30 or 40 years ago. Sure. I I honestly think, and as a podcaster, I would make the statement that, and I don't know that I would have realized this had I not been a podcaster. And had I not gone through my email and my Facebook group, etc., I would not have understood that there is a legitimate difference between job training and education in yes. 2021. I would not have understood that. 
but I do now. <laughs> but anyway, so let's keep on the beam with Fresno. Okay. So, so you think the uh, the the local powers that be or don't want to don't want to attract the what you would term the dynamic people, um, because they're afraid they're gonna uh, they're gonna lose their power or they're afraid they're gonna. Is I it spiritual fear or practical fear? I, I think it's a bit of both. Um, okay. So Fresno County, like I said, is a million people. You have the, you have the city of Fresno and then you have the greater county, right? And I, I know you've talked recently about the urban royal sp- split with others. So I, I think you have that going on to a T. Inner Fresno is, of course, blue. City council is primarily blue. Um, the, county is bas- the county council is basically all red. Uh, our representatives are red. We vote blue for presidents because of the city. And there's kind of this tug of war, right? Um, I think this, I think the city is, there's two, maybe three R's and then the rest are blue, which is like four or five. Um, and then the County, I think there's one D and the rest are R's. So there's that power struggle already. So the city, for example, with COVID, uh, to kind of outline how the policy is, they're fighting the, the city came through and said, you know, they enacted all the lockdown stuff. Uh, they, they followed the governor's lead. Uh, and the county said, we're not enforcing any of it. So the cop, so the city cops had to work, and the county, the sheriffs wouldn't enforce anything. So, you, you know, it's basically where you lived was how stringent the lockdown measures were. And what you're seeing is, politically speaking, you know, the, the, the Democrats... On, in the city are your are more of the California type more I'm gonna say hardcore even though I don't like the term but the more they're more hardcore Democrats they're more likely to be say Bernie supporters as opposed to uh, Biden supporters they're more along the progressive mm. left and then the Republicans here are not moderates like you will find down in say you know San Diego County or even to an extent Orange County we have a lot of social conservatives here oddly enough um, which means you know they're they're more capitalistic but socially less liberal, and it's it's interesting because you're seeing kind of the political fear that is prevalent in American politics, where the the, the right doesn't want to emulate the left, and the left is not willing to play ball. So there so there's no compromise. It's one or the I, other. I wonder, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play the historical what if game that historians don't like to play, but I'm not a professional historian, so I get to play the you what if. You get to play the rules. Okay. What if COVID happened, but COVID wasn't COVID, it was Ebola? I don't know how much... I didn't know a whole lot about Ebola before I did my podcast on COVID, before I did my deep dive on COVID and the Spanish flu, but Ebola is nuts, okay? Ebola is really nuts. Ebola is bonkers, crazy nuts. Painful death. All right? Imagine if Ebola turned up in California... But it wasn't called Ebola. It was called, you know, some brand new disease that was called whatever spaghetti monster. Okay, um, but it was stupid, crazy, really contagious. Blah blah blah. And the count in the same scenario played out, where the city locked down and the county said, "We're not going to do that." Do you think the county would have eventually gotten hip and started locking down, or do you think they would have ridden it out? Uh, I think the numbers would have spoken for themselves, and I think eventually there would have been a much more broader consensus. Uh, If you, you know, I'm not going to try and speak for you because I don't know your background, but I like I'm a conservative. Like this is not a secret for people who know me. And when when COVID came out, for people who remember, uh, it 
started out, conservatives were just as likely to be extremely cautious as liberals. And then the numbers started coming out. And, for, and at some point, there was actually, by my estimation, conservatives were more cautious. And then at some point, early, very early on, it flipped. And then once it became clear that, you know, for the elderly, there was about a three to 5% death rate. But for people like my age, you know, in the young 20s, uh, there was like a 0.001% death rate that that is when you started to see uh, the American right not take this seriously. And so, yes, I do think if like it was something like Ebola where we had a much higher death rate and a much more painful, excruciating experience like Ebola, uh, I, I do think both sides would have played this very differently. I think that's kind of what we were expecting at first because it was played out to be this horrible, horrific disease. Um, in the very beginning, because we just didn't know anything about it. That's how data works. And, and then when it turned out to not be that serious, you had one side that decided to continue to be extraordinarily careful. And they have reasons for doing it. And I'll even say they had good reasons for doing it. Um, but the other sides looked at the numbers and went, I know how numbers work, and I'm not going to play along with this anymore. Well, I mean, okay. Um, I, I'm i to the left of you. I wouldn't... I. I wouldn't exactly say that I'm a liberal, well, some people would. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a leftist either. I'm certainly not a leftist. But what I am is a pragmatist, okay? And when I started studying COVID, like when I started looking at the medical, the early medical stuff and the stuff in Italy and things like that, it became apparent to me that this was a, a brand new disease, right? Yes. And... The problem with new diseases is they're new. Exactly. <laughs> and nobody knew how this was going to evolve. And quite frankly, nobody still knows how it's going to. I mean, nobody knows. But you're right. There is a point where, you know, please get a vaccine. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> un unfortunately, wearing a mask has become political. That's that's unfortunate. Um I, I live in a city that has terrible pollen and terrible pollution. So I've, you know, now that I wear a mask, now that I've worn a mask for COVID, I see the point of a mask in other situations and other, yes. for other reasons. Um, do I think masks are going to continue? I don't. Okay. I talk to folks all over the world. I don't want what goes on in Singapore. I don't think any American wants that where, where the police come and get you. If you weren't wearing a mask, the police come and get you. Right. Um, I don't want that. I honestly don't. Um, but I do think, and I wonder as a thought experiment, if it started out the same way, but it's mutated into something terrible, would the people on the ground have, have changed their mind? I mean, I, again, I think yeah. most of the arguments that I've seen from from my my side, for lack of a better term, it, it's mostly a numbers game. So I think, yes, if it was more dangerous than it was, we would have seen uh, much more adherence to, let's say, masking and vaccine vaccination. The vaccine thing's kind of funny, but that's maybe outside the scope of this. Um, well, talk. and the other side is, again, I'm, I'm pretty strange. I've talked to folks all over the world about their COVID experiences, and I'm also I've also talked to plenty of people that told me about, you know, so-and-so didn't go get tested, but they have COVID, you know, or like, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I can go down this rabbit hole with you about how, yeah, I know what the official numbers are, but I can show you how you can get COVID and never be tested. 
Sure. Because and it happens all be, the time. Yeah. Because you don't want to be tested or because you can't be tested or because reasons. <laughs> blah, blah. But yeah. So do you think with Fresno, do you think, first of all, tell me about Fresno. Was it, how did we end up in this red versus blue dynamic with Fresno in the county? Um, you mean like within the county itself or within the state of California? Within the, okay, Fresno and vicinity, not the state. I mean, just Fresno in the county, the city in the county. It's going to be like every other uh, or rural urban split situation, right? I mean, if you go down to San Diego, you're going to find a lot more blue in the inner city and a lot more red once you get to the suburbs and the outskirts. You go to L.A., it's going to be the same thing. You go to San Francisco and the Bay Area, it's going to be the same thing. Uh, so what you're having is a fairly equal population uh, between the county and – not the county, between the rural areas and the and the urban center, and it's just like every other – situation where that plays out it's it's about 50 50 split um and we you know and it's just the way that it is and you know you have to keep in mind that fresno has been historically republican so it's not like a place um more like la that has been historically democrat for a long time because it is considered more of a rural area and you have more of that agricultural foundation so it's red by it you know by default you know whether or not the red has stuck with them or they have stuck with the red is a different conversation but it's red by default. And then as more and more people move in and as more and more people live in the city their entire life, um, it slowly changes. And, you know, this is not new in society. It's not new in American society even. And that's how we've gotten here. And then the state has only exacerbated it because with, let me put it this way, six hours between, let's say five hours between here and LA is a, that's a long way, you know, on the East coast, five hours, chances are you're in a different state, right? Five hours, five hours here. We put you in Florida. There you go. Five hours. You'd be in Florida. So, Uh, well, maybe Savannah, you'd be Savannah. And where are you from? If you don't mind me asking, I'm, I live in Atlanta. I live in Atlanta. All right. So Savannah would still be Georgia, but we'll, we'll say Florida. And imagine if you lived in, you know, Georgia and Miami was dictating how you lived your life. I get it. it. It's it's so that has exacerbated it because people who are not from here, who have never been here, who look down on the central Valley um, dictate the way that the central Valley lives its life. And that means that the red that does exist here has gotten much more hostile and much more, not radical, but immovable. Well, okay. Let me, okay. So let me, let me, and I get what you're saying about people looking down on people. I mean, as a southerner myself, I've certainly you probably get it felt all the that. time. I've, I've certainly felt that. Um, not so much anymore because of Atlanta's reputation and size and stuff. But when I was younger, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, is it that they look down on? Okay, is it that they look down on you, or is it that? Um, if you live in LA, right, or San Francisco or wherever, like how much do you really know about egg production? Okay. Well, yes. That's huge. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like I it's see not what you're that, saying. it's not that they look down per se. It's maybe it might just be that I talked to the um talk ag to me, the guy that does talk ag to me. And 
for his podcast. And I had, I mean, I knew where eggs, I knew eggs came from chickens. Okay. I'm not that dumb, but I didn't know there was that much to know about it because I'd never thought about it before. Sure. You know, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, you can all, you can find examples of that, but no, there, there is a significant uh, elitism on the coast looking at the rest of California. And, and I say this, I, I, I lived in San Diego for four years. I saw I, the way people treated me being from Fresno, the jokes that I got. Um, you pick a random city in the Central Valley, somebody will call it the armpit of California. And if you, you know, if you don't believe me, that's fine. Uh, go, you know, I know Reddit is not the best place to get a consensus of society, but it is where you can see the worst of society. Go to r slash California and, you know, see how people talk about Fresno. And then by extension, go to r slash Fresno and see how badly Fresnans talk about Fresno because they've been oh. sort of blackpilled by its existence. Yeah, I have, I have terrible things to say about r slash california i was banned from r slash california um <laughs> because oh uh, because i put my little reddit reddit ad up and they said well that's a survey and i'm like no it's not i just want to have a conversation right <laughs> i just i just I'm like okay people are gonna stay mad if there's not a talk right you're just going to stay mad at each other. <laughs> okay. Correct. All right. You see, do you want to stay mad at each other? Because people do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I mean, I do think part of it is that they don't understand the importance that places like Fresno, Bakersfield, um, and all the places in between play in their everyday lives. You know, they get to enjoy cheap beef, but they don't know where the beef comes from or what actually goes down in making said beef. Um, but there is there is a high degree of elitism as well. And I mean, even like in, in my very brief experience in the legal world, I've seen it too. You know, LA attorneys are hot shots and they'll talk down on you once they figure out that you're from the Central Valley. Um, and then hopefully you get to watch them get slapped around by the Central Valley attorney because they've had to prove themselves so they're a little better. Well, and I'm, I'm sorry there's an urban-rural divide in this country, but I mean, that's just... That's just is the I, way it is. It's well, and I think, and I, you might have heard me say this, and I'm gonna say it again, damn it, because I say it all the time. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the, there was a big, big force in this country called that historians call the Billy migration. Okay. And I've got lots of books downstairs that tell me the Billy migration ended in the 60s. Um, it didn't. It ended at about 2000 or the late 90s or so, um, you know. Um, and because of that, you have this hardening of urban versus rural. I think one of the things that you used to have is maybe that hotshot attorney in L.A., right? Maybe the hotshot attorney in L.A. was from Fresno, right? Right. And so the... You know, the hotshot L.A. attorney, if his dad wasn't a chicken farmer, his friend's dad was. Right. Or whatever. I mean, just saying. Right. And that's you changed know, as time goes on. And that's unfortunate. I mean, that's just how it works. It how it's worked so far. I'll say that. Right. Now, yeah. this is where I think Fresno is in a unique position because it still has enough of both to where it could learn from the mistakes of larger metros. 
and not become copies of them while also bringing something new to the table. Right. Um, there's this, I know many people hold the conception that if you're R, you're backwards looking, you're not innovative. And that's not true. And if you're D, you're more likely to be innovative. I'm not necessarily sure that's true either. And there's enough of both here where there are some ideas that really could thrive. It, and it just it, hit, okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. You're fine. But it just hit me upside the head, so to say, that we should, we're saying R and D. And what we mean for the international folks is Republican and Democratic. Yes. Okay. Just, just, just for the folks in Singapore and Britain and <laughs> all those other places. <laughs> right. So, so we have these two different political parties, and I think Fresno has enough for now. There are there are many many Republicans leaving, um, and I, I disagree with their reasons, but I you know I obviously can't control them. And as you know, as long as it still maintains this fifty fifty balance, I think a lot of good work can be done. I think there are Republicans with really innovative ideas. I'm a younger conservative. I, I hesitate to call myself a Republican, but I, I'm a younger conservative. You know, I believe in things like the environment needs to be handled with. We need to we need to work on that. You know, this this is a, this is a, it's of crucial importance for the century that we handle CO two emissions. I, I believe in this. Um, you know, younger conservatives are more socially liberal because they look at conservatism less as the past and more about ideals, right? So it's more about things like the First Amendment, um, which are which is crucial for tolerance in this country. And, and you know, if we allowed, if conservatives allowed themselves to be more innovative and a work with people who disagree with them, a lot of cool things could be done. Fresno is unique in the sense that it it has the population and it has enough of the foundation, you know, with the universities that are here um, and with the businesses that are here, that it could make the next step. You know, if you go to Madeira, 30 minutes north, they can't make that next step. They can't bring in, um, you know, so they can't bring in software companies because let's be real. Who wants to live in Madeira? I'm sorry, Madeira. Uh, where <laughs> Fresno, there, there's actually, you know, there's stuff to do contrary to what people believe. And, and it's on the precipice of if they want to get a Six Flags, they could probably get one. And that's important. So if, if it wanted to say we're going to provide, you know, tax breaks or the regulatory scheme or whatever it is the legal minds have to do to make it to where biotech companies want to set up shop with our lower wages, our lower cost of land uh, and access to the Fresno State, you know, biology program, they could do it. If they wanted to bring in money and invest millions of dollars into a free um public transport system they could do it they're big enough they could do it and they could look at the we'll call it failure we'll call it misgivings of other metros that have struggled with some of these projects and try and avoid those pitfalls because it's later on down the chain so it's in this very unique place it just i'm not sure it wants to do that i'm gonna ask you a question and I, sure i'll guarantee i guarantee you well i don't i don't know i don't know exactly i don't read minds that well but i'm 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 happy to get to do this because for some reason most of the people i've talked to and this is unfortunate but most of the people i've talked to i would say are somewhere closer to me on the political spectrum than you okay i and that's totally unfortunate and not at all by design uh at least on my part um at least consciously but let me ask you a question. Why do you think young, non 
like I don't want I don't want to soil the water here. Uh, <laughs> the the folks to the left of you that are your age. Why do you think they're to the left of you? Uh, for the same reasons that younger generations tend to be left more left leaning in their society, given the time uh, that, you know, and I exhibit this, so I'm not saying I don't do this. We, they, we tend to think that we can change the world because the world hasn't kicked our ass yet. Um, okay. And, and that naivete takes a while to set in. I'm I'm already seeing it set in on some people I know as, as the world has thoroughly kicked their ass. And, you know, I grew up with watching my parents struggle. My parent, I'm a first generation college graduate. Uh, my parents lived in poverty. Uh, so I, I kind of come at it from a different lens than most of the people who I grew up with because they took me out of the, the, the I'll call it white trashville. They took me out of that young and then they kind of were misplayed. They were, not quite fitting in with the urban area that I had been moved to with a really nice school and nice houses and stuff like this. Uh, so I've seen a little bit more of the roughness of the world, but a lot of people my age are quote left leaning because, and, and, you, and you'll see people talk about this all the time because they still believe in revolution. They want something to fight for, but they don't quite understand what it is they're after or how to get there. And it seems easier to tear the whole thing down and build something new than to tweak the thing that's already there. And what we, you know, what a lot of people my age don't realize because they have not even like casually look at history. I think if everybody looked at history, our society would be very different. And I say this as somebody with a biology major, if they don't understand through history that tearing down systems hardly ever works. It's better to retool the one you have because the likelihood that you can make something better than what you currently live in on your own is virtually zero. I wonder if, and I see what you're saying, but even in that, I, I hear a lot of youth. Even in your critique of that, or <laughs> analysis of that, I hear a lot of youth. I wonder if a lot of people who, who vote to the left of you are people that just want their life to work. And they were told to go, and from the time they could read, they were told to go to, you know, get this expensive acculturation. And I think we're finding out, you know, and they, you know, well, I have to vote myself healthcare and I have to vote myself this and I have to vote myself that because the job market doesn't have it as much or whatever. I hear you a hundred percent, but now we're, I I feel like we're stepping a little bit away from theory and more into practicality where you're, you're, you know, where if we were talking strictly theory of Republicans versus Democrats, either way it would work. Right. Because if the Republican theory was correct, uh, their education would provide them a benefit in the job market and they would get higher paying jobs. Now, I don't know if the Republican theory is incorrect because the theory is wrong or because they're absolutely terrible at implementing it because they've become the party of no and not the party of conservatism. So I think you're right. And I think a lot of people my age do vote the way they do because of what you're laying out. But I think that's more because the Democrats are actually putting down solutions, even if I think they're terrible, but they're actually acting while the Republican old guard just says a lot of things, but when they're in power, it gets nothing done. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I guess like, um, okay, so here's a question. 
Sure. And what, okay, you keep saying there's a difference between a conservative and a Republican. There are. Well, okay. Can you tell, don't tell me, <laughs> tell the future. What is okay. the difference between conservative and Republican? Sure. Conservatism, unfortunately, suffers this issue of the way it's phrased, right? So there are two ways you can be conservative. Um, you can be conservative by you want to conserve the past, or you can be conservative by you want to conserve the foundation of what you live in. So one is more of a chronological form of politics, which we do see in this country, and one is more idealistic. So I hesitate to call myself a Republican because Republicans often include both. And I disagree with the notion of conserving the past per se. I am more than happy to march into the future and to be, to, for lack of a better term, progressive. I want to do it with American ideals. I don't believe in socialism. I am a proud, ardent capitalist. I would argue we do not enjoy capitalism in the U.S., but I am an ardent capitalist. I believe in religious freedom. I believe in free speech, even speech that's nasty, terrible, disgusting, and insulting. I believe in it, though. So I, so I would argue that there is a difference between Republicans who want to conserve the past, but a true American conservatism, and there I am saying that the true, um, the true this is this, but I, I would argue that the true American conservatism is not about the, the 80s or the 90s or the 60s or the, or, or the 1700s. It's about the ideals that make this country great and wanting it to be better and to continue to live to the ideals and to live the ideals that it hasn't been living up to. So that's the difference I want to make there. And that's why I have a hard time with the term Republican, because right now, although there are conservatives in the way that I would like to be called conservative, there are a lot of more populist people who want to relive the past because it was beneficial for them. Well, I mean, I, I had a professor who, um, I don't know if he listens or not, but I had a professor who was a, one of these, I guess, brilliant thinkers of the 21st century, right? Okay. Unironically, you know, brilliant thinker of the 21st century, right? And he had this amazing thing that he said, which he said, what I love to do is I love to play games with my kids and their friends. And I love to listen to what they talk about because that's what the world is going to be talking about in 10 years or 15 years or whatever. And so he's like, that's how I stay ahead of the curve. And I'm like, yeah, why? Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> right. See, that's why you're a genius. That's why you're like one of the great thinkers of the age and whatever. But, <laughs> but I wonder if like, I wonder honestly if part of the problem is like, you know, your generation and my generation are working on different problems than the baby boomers were working on, right? Like a lot, a lot more different problems, like being able to work out of your bedroom. Right. Like you don't know how many people, I don't know if, you know, how many people have I talked to who work out of their bedroom in one country and their job is in another country? Right. I, I talk to a lot of those people. And you think about in America, okay, that's healthcare. Where's that healthcare coming from, right? And maybe you're a young, young, unattached, you know, single male now, but 
say like if you got a kid with dental problems and your kid's got to have dentistry right or whatever right. <laughs> i mean these practical issues and i don't know i i just don't see that really i i think both parties convinced a lot of americans that politics is a game and i don't think it is yeah that's true you know? and that's unfortunate i mean you know well, there's a, famous, there's a famous Ben Shapiro quote, which I like to use when people get too stuck in politics. Uh, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. And that's more true than you think it would be. D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. That's I know who Ben Shapiro is, but I've never heard that quote. But it makes... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad right. I can enlighten you to that. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that hits on so many levels. Like... Um, there was a meme that I saw this morning of an old man. Now, bearing in mind that I'm I'm a little more than 24 hours being removed from uh, the subreddit California on, on Reddit because, I don't know, reasons, right? Right. But I saw this meme on Instagram this morning that said, that it had this old man. And the caption was, he was lying in bed, dying, lots of medicine streaming in his arm, right? He said, I wish I'd have spent more time arguing on the internet. <laughs> like, nobody, I mean, come on, people. Yeah, stop yeah. it. You know, talk, talk, to the, talk to the conservative, you know, farmer and learn how to make eggs. Like, learn, learn that he knows about eggs and wheat. And maybe he can learn about why you think certain things about certain things and ba ba ba. You know, I mean Right. And know? what's interesting is when you have these conversations, you know, people tend to be receptive as opposed to online. So to the pull from my personal experience in the last couple of months since moving back to Fresno, I had an internship at a legal firm here. And, you know, when I pitched what I was thinking about Fresno at large, uh, there was one person who was from the Bay Area who had moved to Fresno because his wife took up a job in, in the area. Uh, and he was very cynical about his position here. And when I said what I was thinking about, you know, it's in a perfect place to grow and bring in businesses and all this. He didn't, he, he was very dis dismissive. Um, and then I spoke to someone who was closer to my age, but had lived here their entire life and understood that this place is all agriculture. So he was about as equally dismissive. And then I, you know, I would talk to another partner and, brought it up and walked him through, you know, how the bringing the business could work and what the, you know, the council would have to do. And at first he was like, eh. and as I talked to him more and more, he, he, he began to understand it. And, you know, you in one in three doesn't sound great, but you don't get one in three online. Nobody changes their mind online. Where not, having well, not unless they're going there to have an adult conversation. If you're really going there to have an adult conversation, you can you can have you can have you know your mind expanded or changed or however you want to say. Yeah, it. but I don't think that looks like one in three. Maybe I don't not. think that even looks like one in thirty. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm cynical as have been you know involved in the internet for the entirety of my life. It's just I I, I don't I don't see many adult conversations. They happen. I'll I'll say that. But when you you know you go through the comment thread of r slash politics, and I understand Reddit is not the best example, um, but when you go through the comment threads of r slash conversations, there are not very many adult conversations having on going on. I've had interactions on online that I 
I found quite rewarding. And I had other interactions online that I was like, where at different points I was like, am I talking to somebody in a crazy, in a, in a <laughs> literally, no, for right. real. Am I, 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 talking I, know, to, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Who, how are you this nuts? I mean, <laughs> you, you, what, what is going on with you? Right. It's yeah. like, it's not even like, oh, we disagree. It's like, you're not even talking about the thing that we're talking about. You're just pivoting around. <laughs> are you a bot? I mean, honestly, are you a bot? And you just, I mean, you know, and then like, there's a classmate of mine from college who, who said, who said online, he said, uh, trolling is not the flex you think it is. It's actually kind of sad. You know, I think that's right. a, that's a good I think Shout for most to... people that's true. There are some very good trolls, but they're not trolls that are eliciting anger. Okay, wait. Yeah, but like if you're if you're just angry and you're trolling, I'm so, please go outside. Like, yes. Please a hundred percent. Walk around. I don't know. Dude Go dude. talk to the person at your Starbucks. Just go talk to somebody. I'm sorry. First of all, I want to hold your hand and tell you I'm sorry. Second, go outside. Yes. Dude. dude. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Um well thank you. Um and thank you for doing this. Um do you think let me ask you this. Do you think how can we scale your your solution up to try and find common ground? How can we scale that up nationally or, or can we scale that up nationally? Um, so there's the way that I've talked about it on my show and it went, you know, it's, it's naive in the sense that it's, it's a, it's a big plan and that it has basically zero support from the powers that be. I think a huge issue that, we, and we see this in societies in the past and we're seeing it now is that people generally feel unheard. I feel unheard. I'm a conservative, but it's not, I don't feel unheard because I'm a conservative in California, for example. I feel unheard because I'm a conservative and no conservatives think like me, if that makes sense. Or, or the ones that do, I can't interact with. And the ones that I could in theory interact, interact with, like my congressperson have no interest in actually interacting with me as a constituent. So I, I think there's a huge issue with representation. And if I had the magic wand, um, and I could do whatever I wanted to the Constitution to, to fix the issue of polarization or at least get us well on the way to fixing the issue. I would remove the arbitrary number of, represent of representatives in D.C. Um, and get it back to a system based on population for the House and actually based on a reasonable number and accept that we're going to have a dumb amount of people as representatives. And that's okay. Um, and I would make it to where that the number would be small enough to where everyday people could reasonably interact with their representative if they could. And then I would also uh, suggest, and I have suggested this on my show, that large states like Texas and New York, uh, to an extent Washington State, perhaps maybe Florida, and absolutely California, large states in the sense of population, uh, would split. So that they're not being represented primarily by people who do not appreciate them. I think a lot of the issue um, in our politics, you know, 
is an issue of representation. I think people feel unheard. And I think allowing the a republic to work the way that it's supposed to, not the way it's working now where we have this arbitrary cap of 400 and some odd representatives for 300 and some odd million people, I think that needs to be removed. I think the thing I would do, and I wouldn't even do anything that esoteric. What I would do is I would say the biggest problem we have is that, I mean, aside from the biggest problem that I could solve that we have is that our education system doesn't work, doesn't do what it was supposed to do. Um, so I would change the education system. I would, hmm, I would somehow get, because right now you have this problem where, you know, we've set up our cities. So one of the reasons why the Republicans in Fresno, right? One of the reasons they might not want to become LA is because, L.A. is a theme park, right? <laughs> That's and a good way of putting it. And maybe they don't want to become one percenter Disneyland, right? Maybe they don't want to be that, be like that. So one thing I would do is I would try and get the people into the country, right? Our system of government, whether whether you want to talk about it like this or not, um was not set up to have these islands of population interspersed by nothingness. Okay, we the founding fathers, for all their foibles and all their whatever, never intended for that to happen. So we, we've got to get these people spread out in the countryside somehow. Um, and I think if you do that, I think you could get conservatives and the more liberal people meeting at the grocery store meeting meeting at the bar meeting at the tavern the diner wherever i mean that's how you ended up having like that's how you ended up having the french and the dutch or the french and in my family it was the it was the in my mother's family it was the uh the english and the french got together through marriage okay and if the English and the French can get together through marriage, albeit a new planet and a new world, okay, um, Republicans and, and Democrats who speak the same language, okay, can 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 see eye to eye. I'm just saying. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from, and I think you know both your both of your solutions are perhaps more realistic than mine and would work uh, with great success if implemented. So, I see where you're coming from. I mean, I honestly think that I think part of our problem as a society is that we're looking for political solutions. Yes, a hundred percent. And I That's, say this as somebody who is very political. I am too. I'm very. I'm a political theorist, for God's sake. I think that's part of the problem is that we're looking for political. Okay, I'll give you an example. In my state, we have this problem. We have a major city. And we have countryside, right? Right. We have a major city that has, well, to be honest with if I was to be honest with you, we don't even know how many people live in Metro Atlanta. 
Right. Right. We don't know how many people because both parties over the years have decided to, you know, not essentially not really count Metro Atlantans properly. So we don't actually know how many people live here. Number one. Number two, that kind of has filtered into our daily lives. Like we have brownouts in the summer. Sometimes we have, you know, things go on. So there's a, what the, what the government wants to do in this state is the government wants to give broadband access to the rural areas, right? Right. Which is a good idea. And they're thinking about, well, with the rural electrification, blah, blah, blah. You know, same sort of idea, right? Right. The problem is, is it's a new day, right? It's a different time, okay? Before 2020, you could not have convinced somebody living, you know, you couldn't have convinced too many people that, hey, we need to raise your taxes so that you can have high-speed internet in some little 10-person town, you know, in middle Georgia. I mean, now after 2020, I don't know. That might, that might change, but not before 2020. Right. Right. So what you needed was some kind of private solution or some kind of corporate solution or something to where you could have internet come in so that these people who essentially, when you talk to them, they feel, they don't feel trapped. It's not like they feel trapped, but they feel, um, like they'll tell you about, you know, my, my, my house costs too much money. Right. <laughs> you know, like I could sell this house, but then I'd buy another house that would be just ex- as expensive. So what would be the point? Right? right. Blah, blah. I mean, I don't know, but that's what I would do is, but you know, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big issue, right? It's going to have lots of nuanced ways of looking at it. Um, I, I think in the grand scheme of thing, like if somebody wanted something easy to do, you know, it, it sounds so stupid and it sounds so cliche, but like just smile at the people you interact with on a daily basis, the strangers on the street. And if more people did that, the world would be a much better place. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, and it, it is unfortunate. Unfortunately, this pandemic became political. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, and think on one level, like, thank God that it wasn't like Ebola. Okay. But <laughs> Amen. <laughs> if it had been, I mean, you know, good God. <laughs> you right. know, well, I, it's, mean, it's, I always found it odd that it got political. Um, now, like I said earlier, I'm a biology major, so I have a bachelor of science in biology. When this thing came out, and I'll be like real, both sides have gotten this terribly wrong, uh, and they just got it wrong on different extremes, right? Because you know, you said earlier, and, and it's a true statement, but there's but there's a difference between a true statement and a practical statement. Nobody really knows how it's going to mutate, and I do think that many people to the left took that thinking to its extreme, uh, when that logic is true, but it's also true of things like the common cold flu, cancer, uh, diabetes, all of it, right? Things can change, and especially biological things can change, and sometimes they do when it's bad. Um, So they took that thinking and they were too cautious with it. 
I'm going to say after six months, the first six months, I'll give a pass. Um, and then the, the, and the right kind of went and said, you know, the numbers are stupid low. And since it's stupid low, and since the political party I don't like is pushing the vaccine, I'm just not going to do it. And they, by extension, prolonged um, suffering that didn't need to happen. Right. Uh, there are people who died who had no business dying if they just went and got vaccinated when the vaccine became available to them. So what's interesting is I've watched as a young person who recently studied biology, I watched the entire country basically get it wrong um, and misstate the biology. And I've watched doctors and biologists also get it wrong. I watched Fauci get it wrong. I, I watched, um, oh, obviously we all watched Trump get it wrong. And, and, and it's one of these things where I, I really wish that people were more willing to actually learn about the topics they were talking about or for the people who had learned to maybe refresh their brain a little bit to say the right information and to put things in context because scientists do this thing where they're hyper-technical and they speak in like, well, it could change, but they often by saying that use language that doesn't illustrate well enough how unlikely it is that it does change. If well, that makes sense. I'm going to play devil's advocate um, sure. on the, on the, it could change side. So I did a podcast on the Spanish flu. All right. So the thing that, I learned from researching the Spanish flu was the Spanish flu kicked around for 15 years before um, Dr. Milner of Kansas discovered it. Okay. Right. Um, and what Dr. Milner was writing about when he, so Dr. Milner was this doctor in Kansas who was writing to the Harvard medical school about these patients that he was discovering. Okay, what he was writing about was literally not a flu. Okay, it was a disease that wasn't the flu, but it mutated into something that was very flu like. Okay, but it killed way more people than they understood at the time. And that, I think, is what the modern scientists and virologists, etc., were terrified of. Okay, yes. And, and, but the, there were there are many different circumstances um, of how the Spanish flu played out with uh, you know World War One and the speed of society as a whole and also I, I mean again it's one of the things you're technically right and, and and it's a it was a reasonable belief for the first six months and I still yeah. and to an extent it's still a reasonable belief however the Spanish flu is an outlier because by the same logic then the common cold. Um, or other coronaviruses that kick around every year, which are just different flus, um, mm. we, we should be equally afraid of by that same logic when, you know, we should, I think a lot of conservatives are taking the approach, we should operate by the rule and not by the exception. And then if the exception would have played out, I think the response would have been different, right? I have been saying since the very beginning what should have happened, which again, I don't hold the magic wand, so this is my young naivete, what should have happened was the elderly and people at risk should have locked down, stay indoors, and my generation should have stepped up. Some of us would have died, and that is unfortunate, uh, but the outcome would have been so much better is if when the people who should have locked down locked down and we went out and got sick and got herd immunity and squashed it, 
and yeah. it would have been good press for my generation, which desperately needs it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing, I mean, the thing that I say, and I'm, I'm not a fan of Trump. Okay, I'm not. But the thing I say is that every other president, so President 1 through 44, would have said, okay, would have had a press conference and say, okay, here's the deal, kids. There's a new virus. Um, but here's the deal. Um, right now we think it's airborne, right? And right now we think um, it lives in fluids, okay? So here's what I need you to do. Um, wear a mask, okay? We're going to do a deal. We're going to do a package for the hotels and for the restaurants, okay? Everybody else go with God. <laughs> right. You know, figure it out. <laughs> right. And, you know, you probably would have seen a lot more adherence from a Kennedy-like figure if that was the t- period of history we were in. I mean, um, but like, we just not we weren't there. Here's something that I didn't know until I studied about the flu. Um, Bush, the Bush, the W, George okay. W, was very, very much on team. Um, you know, he was very, very much on team viruses are real and they can kill people. Yes, he was. Um, I gave, he was given a book that I read. Um, it was one of the initial books that reappraised the Spanish flu. Um, and that book is terrifying. Literally, the, the chapter on San Francisco is literally the stuff of nightmares. Right. Um, and he literally came into work and was like, okay, we need to solve this problem. So in the middle of the war on terror, in the middle of the Iraq war, he literally pulled people off that and said, here, fix this. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, and, and people were were not, and this is probably because of his political affiliation. We're not giving Republicans enough credit from the Bush years for bolstering our preparedness for a biological issue. Um, funding that went down during the Obama years, and consequently also went down during the Trump years, even though he was being warned repeatedly not to do it. Um, yeah, I, I think Bush does. George W. does not get enough credit. His presidency was mired by the by the war on terror when he was actually pretty good. I mean, he, you know, and also he was thinking about problems that, honestly, he was thinking about problems that we weren't thinking about. We yeah, he was long game. He weren't thinking about. He was thinking about, this could have, I mean, read this book. It says he was writing about this, like, in, you know, 15 years, this thing was knocking around. Well, and, okay, you know, if you accept, you know, that virus, that flu, traveled by motor car traveled by train right this virus travels by jet right (laughs) right like the spanish flu okay like tehran tehran in iran was nailed by the spanish flu right but nobody knows why right there's no nobody knows how the spanish flu got to tehran but it did. Right. And that's the worst case scenario. That's the scenario people were concerned about with COVID was what if this gets to, you know, whatever. (laughs) Right. And again, that's why I give credence and that's why I, I'm more, um, more accepting of the, of the concern in the earlier days of COVID. I mean, right now we're over a year in and there are still people double masking outside where I'm from. Like the, 
that's you know maybe maybe don't double mask but you right know. so I, I i so for the first i will say six months um the biologist in me says we knew before even then but i'll say the first six months i'll give a pass i think that logic sort of falls apart since then um because it is true that these things could have been bad, but since it traveled by jet and since that we have resources that we didn't have during the 1910s, the 1900s, when the Spanish flu would have been kicking around, uh, we, we knew more than we would have known even with years of research back then in a matter of months. And if we operated by that data, you know, our, the outcomes would have been different in certain states. Now, I don't think, you know, the, the laissez-faire, um, let's say Florida approach is the correct answer per se. But since, you know, it has become a political issue, lots of people like it. Uh, I think there could have been reasons to mask in the beginning and promote vaccinations. Um, I, I love to pick on conservatives all the time on the whole vaccination front because what they don't realize is that it's a product of Trump policy. But since Trump wasn't president when it came out, they don't like it. When really it's Trump's vaccine at the end of the day, if we're going to attach a political party to it. Wasn't uh wasn't he the president that said that if okay correct me if I'm wrong here please but wasn't he the president that said that if an American company is making the American vaccine the American vaccine has to be for Americans. Uh, that like, sounds like a Trump statement that I've heard. Yeah, wasn't that okay? Because that's something Trump did, and you know. And, and, but Moderna and Pfizer have American presences, and by and large, they are the American vaccine. I mean, we were a world leader in development of the American. We weren't the first. Like, the Russians technically had a vaccine first. doesn't mean it was any good. Um, but ours were ours proven has proven to be very good. I'm going to discount J&J. Uh, I know there are reasons to get it. I don't support. I don't think you should if you can get the other ones, but that's a different conversation. Um but, you know, they came out, they only were allowed to come out because if you remember, you know, during the election, he said it's coming before the end of the year. And the entire other side was like, no, it's not. And then it came out because of his policies, which were more laissez-faire and less restrictive on the testing, which there's, there's reasons to be concerned about that. I get it. Um, but it was out technically in December. He was right because of his policies. But for some reason, when the election went the way it did, the people who were initially against that idea, um, since and I think it's as simple as since Biden won, were suddenly for the vaccine because they thought it was somehow a Biden thing. And the people who were all for it when it was Trump saying it's going to be here by the time I'm re-inaugurated um, suddenly flipped. So I think there, like the unfortunate yeah. bit. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I mean, there's a man that I spoke with, a tech journalist. And this podcast did not make the air for very unfortunate reasons. But the thing he did tell me was that they were using blockchain. They were using blockchain technology to piggyback all these computers together to make the vaccine quicker. Um, if, if he had not come on the air, to, if he had not come on my podcast and talked to me about it, I would be much more vaccine hesitant than I ended up being. But because he told me, hey, their supercomputers are figuring this out. They're going to cut the time. It's going to be fine. You know. Right. I got the vaccine as soon as I could. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
All right. Is there anything else you want to cover? Um, what, you keep referring to your show. What's your show? Sure. I, I didn't want to corrupt the viewer's opinion of me by saying early on what it was. So my show is called Contrarix, C-O-N-T-R-A-R-I-X. Uh, I, it's oddly enough, a political show. I am a armchair conservative pundit, for lack of a better term. Uh, what we're aiming to do, me and my usual co-host, is observe the big tent of American conservatism and provide solutions or conversations or dialogue that you don't normally find, not just on the American right, but really in the American space. Uh, my co-host, his name is Kyle. He's an elected official down in San Diego County uh, for a lower level position, and he represents more of a, cons- a social conservative position. Uh, I call myself centrist or, you know, right-leaning, right-of-center with libertarian streak. Um, and so I represent more of a, I don't want to, it's not progressive in a political sense, but it is progressive uh, wing of conservatism that's more about ideals and less about the past uh, and trying to bring, you know, big issues like the environment or vaccines into the conversation. We look at what's going on in American politics. We ridicule some of it. We, we poke fun at some of it. We introduce new ideas and we try our damnedest to make evergreen content and not be another Ben Shapiro clone. That's the show. I tell you what, I I wasn't aware of your show until right this minute, but I'm going to give it a listen, and I want you to come back. I appreciate it, man. I want you to come back on my show, um, and uh, if you'll hang on the line with me while this mama, while this you know big mother downloads, I'd appreciate it. And uh, as always, guys, thanks a bunch, and I'll see you later. <laughs>